News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to the Luke Messias Show, guys. We have a lot going on this week. Bills can only be filed through the end of this week in the Texas House of Representatives. In the Texas Senate, technically, they can only get filed through Friday, but they suspend the rules all the time in the Texas Senate, in the Texas House. Not only do they not suspend the rules, but also they definitely don't suspend. Let let me back up. The Texas House suspends rules, but only if it's in an effort to do usually the wrong thing. Okay, so if your legislation is good and conservative, the likelihood that anyone's going to suspend any rules that will help make it more likely that that kind of stuff passes. Yeah, that doesn't happen in the Texas House of Representatives. So if a bill is not filed on Friday, it has passed the deadline. You can't file any more bills. And this kind of gives us the closing of that first initial chapter. Okay. So when we come to you next week, every single bill that could be filed, any policy that could pass the Texas House or the Texas Senate, get to the governor's desk, get signed into law, it is done at that point in time. There are quite a few bills coming out here towards the end. Um, I see a lot of conservatives, I say it's like they're flooding the zone. There's a lot of policy out there, and this week there will be more and more policy filed. Uh, Representative Brian Slayton filed Texit uh, today, which is to have a referendum on what Texas could do or whether Texans could consider taking steps towards separating from the federal government. Representative Ellen Troxclair filed legislation uh, to ban taxpayer-funded lobbying, which has been filed in the Texas Senate but hadn't been filed in the Texas House, and that is a, uh, you know, strong policy that's supported by the Republican Party of Texas platform. And it's good that we have now both chambers. This is what you're going to see too, is you're going to see certain good policy on the House that's not in the Senate yet or on the Senate side that's not in the House. And so people will start filing bills to make sure that in both chambers, they have a chance of actually getting that policy across the finish line. We've got a bunch of different policy. Taxpayer-funded lobbying is one of them that really gets to the heart of certain issues that matter quite a bit. The taxpayer-funded lobbying issue is is really about fundamentally funding the swamp, right? So there are tons of these lobbyists who make hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, right? And a big chunk of their business comes from you, the taxpayer. Now, you don't know that you're paying these people, but your bill... Your taxes go to a government that then hires these people that sends them down to Austin and then they advocate against your best interest. And it's not even figuratively like, oh, these people might not be arguing for your best interest. No, they literally argue against property tax relief, property tax reform, limits on local government spending. So these people get paid with taxpayer money. They go there and they advocate against you. Banning taxpayer-funded lobbying has been something that has been prioritized in the past, does not seem to be being prioritized this session really by anybody, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Texas Senate does still pass the legislation out. They've passed it out several sessions in a row, so that chamber has consistently sided with taxpayers on the issue of taxpayer-funded lobbying, and the House has consistently sided with the lobby on the issue. So Representative Ellen Troxclair filing that legislation and going to bat for taxpayers. Very good thing to see. You also have Brian Slayton who filed a great bill, a bill that is getting nationwide, actually worldwide coverage. Um, And I'm not being hyperbolic when I tell you that because there was some article that I was sent that was written by, I don't know, somebody in 
across the country, okay, uh, across the world. Somebody over there, you know, not in America, um, I'm drawing a blank on exactly which publication it was, but it was written in a language that I do not know how to read or speak. So therefore, I know that it has reached across the world. But here's the reality. There is a conversation happening within conservative circles as a whole about the lack of pro-family policies that exist and the lack of pro-family policies that are coming out of red states, blue states, our country as a whole. Really across the world, but I think America is one window that we can look at and kind of notice. So the truth is that we have broken families. And as society has these problems of fatherless homes, single-parent households, more and more divorces, more and more children had out of wedlock, you have these broken families, sometimes that literally start broken or that begin in a good way for family growth and joy and fulfillment and happiness, but then at some point down the road, break apart, okay? And so government has reacted to that. We provide more and more government services. We pay for more and more children to be born. We talked about this with Dade Phelan's push to expand Medicaid for pregnant mothers, right? We are, we are paying for most of the births. Most of the children born in Texas are paid by us, the taxpayer. So we have stepped in and said, all of these areas that are broken, there's welfare programs that these people are on, there's services. We've got to figure out how to basically fix this broken system, fix these broken families. It is way more expensive to fix a broken family than it is to actually help and promote and maintain good, healthy families. This is where societies flourish, okay? Just, be, just to be simple, if you get divorced, right, your child's life expectancy goes down. Now, that is not said in a way to uh, put shame on anyone who has been divorced. It's not said in a statement of judgment, right? It is said as, as a reality that we have to struggle with. Something we need to understand about families is that when they are together, they flourish. And when they are broken apart, people suffer. So Hungary has done some very interesting things when it comes to family formation and promotion. And one of those simple policies is that if you have four children or more, your family is exempt from paying social security taxes. They have a social security system in their country. Imagine if when you had your fourth kid, your husband, let's say you, you had, in fact, literally I have some very dear friends of mine where both the husband and the wife work and she is pregnant with their fourth child. And when this fourth child comes into the world, imagine, in fact, we've had conversations where they've said, you know, I really would like to stop working. And I would, I really do feel like it is likely that I might end up being called into being a full-time mother to these four children that I love. Imagine if the government said, hey, you know, we're not paying food stamps for your kids. We don't have all these programs you're on. Y'all work hard. You are literally engaging in conversation. Like you are succeeding to the point to where we're not here to give you a bunch of handouts. But you know what? you no longer pay social security taxes. Because guess what? If you don't have kids, all you people out there that have had one kid or two kids, 
y'all are helping contribute to the eventual bankruptcy of Social Security, right? Because it doesn't work. You have to have a pyramid. And our declining birth rates are affecting that. So Hungary comes in and says, hey, those larger families are going to be incentivized. We're going to give them a little something. Okay, so all of that to be said, that is the foundation by which Brian Slayton, in fact, he told many of us this. He said, look, I, I looked at that Hungary policy and decided, hey, I'm going to look for something like that we could do in Texas. And so what he said was he filed a bill that said, if you're married and haven't divorced, then you have a 10% reduction in your property tax bill. And then when you have your fourth child, you now have a 50% reduction in your property tax bill. Actually, just to be clear, I want to rewind. I believe the way the bill actually says is that you get a 10% reduction for having been married and not divorced, but it doesn't kick in until your fourth child, in which point you get 40% off for those children. So now you have a 50% reduction on your property tax bill. And for every child you have after that, you get a 10% reduction in your property tax bill. Now, here's the reality. If that saves you three or four or 5,000, or if you have a large house, you know, eight or nine or $10,000, even though that is a real savings, that is nowhere close to making up the cost of keeping this family, okay? So I just want to kind of put this in perspective. It's still a major sacrifice to have a family of five kids. But there is no way that the government comes in and says, hey, kids are way less likely to be in the, a juvenile delinquent. They're less likely to get taken up into the system, have law enforcement problems, be on food stamps, need CHIP, all of these different problems, all these other welfare programs. We could save a ton of money if we in any way said, hey, we want to benefit families who are staying together and having children. So Brian Slayton filed this bill. It has gotten a ton of traction all across the country. And it's good to see. It's good to see other legislators across the state and across the country, trying to think of ways to promote family formation. It was interesting in conversations I had with policy experts and other lawmakers post Slayton's bill, everyone all of a sudden started having discussions like, what, what are the different ways we could promote strong families? And those are the questions we should be asking. So I'm glad that that bill's out there. You also have Nate Schatzlein who has been filing, well, actually, you know, just recently filed a bill to uh, enact the same age limits on pornography that they just passed in Louisiana, uh, basically more restrictions to protect more children from exposure to pornography online. But Nate was also in the news this week because the left decided they had him red-handed. Representative Schatzline from Fort Worth, this is the guy who replaced Matt Krause, he, uh, is one of the few legislators to file legislation to ban drag shows in the presence of minors, right? A huge issue that we've talked about a lot. And by the way, if you have not watched the Texas Scorecard documentary, it's not going to lick itself. Uh, this is just a reminder that you should. You can watch that on YouTube. You can go to Roku and download the Texas Scorecard app and actually watch it there. Now, I will say it has some mature content, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend you watch this documentary with your kids. But if you want to know the type of salacious, the type of disgusting, perverse material that's happening and being presented to our children, you need to watch this 15-minute documentary. So Nate Schatzlein files a bill that says, hey, 
He's one of a couple legislators that says we need to address this issue. Well, the left decide they've really got him red-handed. That sucker. You want to know what they got him with? The fact that in high school, he cut a home video with a bunch of his buddies on the football team, and he was wearing a dress. The left lost their minds. How dare somebody who was who literally behaved the way most teenage boys behave and goofing off with their friends dare say some 45-year-old dude can't get implants and gyrate in front of a child. This was their attempt at calling out hypocrisy. Jean-Claude said hypocrisy is the compliment that vice pays to virtue, right? So they said, aha! We found him because he had his own vice. And now he's a hypocrite. The silly thing is, it, well, it, it, the whole thing is completely silly. Okay. Uh, Representative Schatzlein did fire back. Um, I think most importantly, though, he fired back at the Texas Democrats who actually tried to, you know, let's say paint him into a corner and they came out and tried to attack him for, you know, kind of calling him out. So the Texas Democrat, the Democrat Party of Texas says, we're glad to see Nate Schatzlein has found creative and liberating expression through drag, making him like countless other Texans. This is the sickness of the Democrat Party, right? Like you're some 17-year-old high schooler with your buddies that make a home video where you're goofing around and they're like, oh, that's a very creative expression of drag. Maybe you shouldn't tell this 40-year-old who's sexualizing this kid that he's doing the wrong thing. Nate aptly responded, I guess when you can't win elections, you just mock the ones who do. We're going to ban the sexualization of children whether you like it or not. Why is that important? Why is that posture and message important to send? Because Republicans get scared when they get criticized. They literally back off. You're seeing this in the Texas Senate right now. You've seen, you know, moderate, let's say moderate Republican members, Republican members who are more prone to pressure from the left, all of a sudden get a little worried about Democrats calling them racist based on legislation that Lois Colcourse has filed that is phenomenal. Some One of the best bills that's been filed this session by far. Lois Colcourse files a bill that says, if you're a citizen of China, if you're a company with China, you can't own land in Texas. You can't own it. And all of a sudden everybody says, oh, this is an anti-Asian bill. No, it's not. It's absurd. See, when Democrats hit, they hit for a reason. We love to look at their hits and say, oh, those dummies. But if you were the Democrat Party and every time you hit, Republicans reeled back and responded, took a step back from whatever they were pushing, maybe now's not the time to push this issue. You'd keep hitting. They have to have consequences to when they hit. And I'm grateful the Representative Schatzline is saying, not only is this entire thing silly, but guys, we're coming after the sexualization that you're doing on Texas kids. Last but not least, you have this growing property tax issue going on in both chambers. I'm just going to synthesize this down because y'all might see a lot of stuff out there. Okay, so I'm going to give you the couple minute version of what's happening. There's a $33 billion surplus. 
We have money that we've taken from you. The, the Texas government has money that they've taken from all of us, okay? $33 billion more than they should have. This is like a tax return, okay? IRS says we took too much of your money. Here's your money back in taxes. But they're not going to return a lot of it, okay? And the Texas Senate and the Texas House both have differing plans. And we have just learned that this week because Dade Phelan finally rolled out his plan, which is to take the 10% exemption that you have on your homestead and reduce that down to five. So instead of having a 10% cap of how much you can, your taxable value can go up, it's a 5% reduction. And then he wants to apply that to all property, which is going to benefit people like me who own a couple of rental homes. And it's really going to be benefit people like Dade Phelan, whose entire business is in real estate, right? And if your business is in real estate and real estate investing, then it's going to benefit you more than any other Texan. And then the Texas Senate has said they would actually rather prefer use that for increasing the homestead exemption so that those of you who have homes will get more relief than the rest of Texans, okay? And then the rest of Texans will not see as much relief. But the appraisal cap reduction from 10 to 5% does not make your bill go down next year. So we're arguing... I really do think there are a lot of Republicans who should just run on the mantra like, we're Republicans, we raised your property taxes slower than Democrats. And I don't know how well that would poll. I don't think it would be tremendously supported. But the truth is, when you look at most property tax relief and reform measures, that's kind of what they end up being. Here's what I will tell you uh, to differentiate between these two chambers right now. Neither the Senator of the House are aggressively putting Texans property tax bills on the path to elimination, okay? And I don't say that to offend any of my friends in the Senate or the House. But neither of these plans are like, wow, okay, within eight years or 10 years or 12, like m has gone, okay? That's not there right now. They're not talking about it. They're not really giving the vision. It's not part of the pitch. But between these two chambers, they're both saying we want to relieve you to some extent and we want to reform the system. Now, there's two questions I'm looking at. One is what kind of reform passes and how fast does it pass in either chamber? And then from a relief perspective, how much is actually being given? Now, here's one thing I'm going to give a lot of credit to the Senate for. They've been really honest with what they've said they're doing, okay? They've said we have X billion of dollars in new compression, I think it's like six and then three point something in homestead exemption. And then there's the old property tax relief that they're continuing to give. That's a total of 15 billion. Now I've already argued on this show that it's really a little under 10 because that old relief that they're still giving is not things they can take really credit for. So the house comes out with their plan and they start, I mean, they're releasing all these one pagers and you can go to Twitter because Bill Peacock has some great content. I've put some content out. But the House has been very uh, creative, one could say, with how they've given, how they've used the math of their property tax relief plan. Because they claim that there's going to be $17.3 billion in property tax relief, okay? They also claim that this will reduce the cost of living by lowering school district property taxes by 28%. Now that none of this math makes sense. $44 billion is collected through school property taxes. And in this, there's maybe $12 billion in new relief. Okay. Maybe. 
And even that $12 billion in new relief is not even clear what it even is. So there's a lot of unknowns right now with the House plan. The House is probably going to be a little more, they're going to have to provide some more context and numbers and the Legislative Budget Board and other people like that. So there's a process that we're going to go through to get to the bottom of both property tax proposals that are coming out. And we will try to tell you the different ways each of these proposals are going to impact you. If you pay your property taxes, if you own a home and are paying that tax, we're going to try to give you as much helpful information to dissect both chambers and how that's going to affect you. I will tell you as somebody who's been in the property tax conversations and policy for the last, I don't know, 10 years, it's not an easy system to understand, but it is one that has a pretty big impact on your life. Because if you don't pay your property tax bill, your, your house gets taken away. Even Governor Abbott admitted people don't really own their own homes. But the question is, what's the legislature going to do about that? And we're going to be following along to see what kind of reforms come out, how much relief is given, and what that tangibly will do for you. And also, you can follow along with the Huffines Liberty Foundation, Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, who are honestly advocating on all these issues far more than even I am. So follow along with them so that you stay up to date, especially if that's an issue that you really, really care about. I hope that you've learned some stuff from today. I'm following along with a whole lot of other things, but there's a couple things to be on your radar to know that are happening in Texas, and we will keep you apprised because what's going to happen is this week and next week, bills are starting to get heard. Things are starting to get voted out of committee. They're gearing up to getting voted out of the chambers. And once that starts, we're going to get a very clear picture of just how fast or slow the legislature is going to work on conservative policy, right? It's just not an, it's not a numbers game. If one, how, if the house passes 500 bills and the Senate passes 200 bills, I can't tell you which one of them is better. The question is which of them has have passed more conservative policy. And that's what we're going to talk to you about. I hope you have a great week. God bless you. And God bless Texas. Thank you for listening to the Luke Messias show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.